Well, it's time to get in the Word. Is everybody ready? So, this is not a continuation of last week, even though it's kind of close. Let me tell you, it is not a continuation of last week. So the title of my message today is In the Ring. In the Ring. But first, um, if we can, let's, let's repeat this together. Pastor has put this down. Pastor has, if you've been here the past couple weeks, he, he has crafted this so that we can speak it into existence of what's going to happen. David, do you have that ready? Can we all say it together? The applied word of God would change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises, pursue passionately, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof. In Jesus' name, amen. My faith is proof. I love that. And when when he gave it to me, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then as we've been saying it little by little, I'm just like, man, my faith is my proof. My faith is my proof. And the last sermon series we went through is Faith from a Flawed Family. Now, please, if, once again, this is not a continuation, although it kind of seems like it, but please, please, please go online, go to our YouTube, go to CICalive.org, and go watch those messages. Because Pastor delicately placed those, those scriptures into something great. And not saying that the Bible isn't great, but how Pastor took those messages just... Every single week, I went, man, we usually have a debrief after, and I went, let me tell you, that was good. And not that, like, pastor's never not good, but I was like, during this sermon on the series, I was like, man, pastor, that, that was good. So please, please, please go back and watch it. But the title of my message today is In the Ring, and we are going to be reading from Genesis 32, from 22 to 32. So if you are taking notes, take that out. If you are, have your Bibles, please open it too. Even your phones, that's fine. I'm a youth pastor, so it's okay. But let's read. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came up and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. That's kind of unfair, first off. Let's just read. That's kind of unfair. That's cheating, but it's okay. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for how it speaks to different individuals at different times, Lord. 
Lord, I just pray that this message, that you would have just wisdom flow, flow through me. Allow my words to be your words, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that every single person here will encounter you and leave with something from this word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So I want to give a little bit of context to this, of what is happening. Because, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on a little feathers here. It's okay, though. Um, how many know that context matters? If, if we're talking about something face-to-face and we say something, probably you want to know the context of what is happening. Now, if you're not into sports whatsoever, and I would tell you, like, man, the Patriots are really bad this year. They're not. I have faith. I am a believer in Bill Belichick. But if you don't watch sports, if you're not paying attention or anything like that, you'd probably be like, what? what, what what's the context of that? How, how? Why? Why? You start asking questions about it. So why do we ask questions about sports and things happening in people's lives, but we don't ask the questions about the Bible before and after? The context is important, okay? So before this, as we are reading, there's Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, here's my quick five minutes of this, or two minutes. Jacob, Esau, they're twins. Jacob is the second. Esau is the first. Esau's supposed to have the birthright. But Jacob is like, nah, I kind of want that. So he then tricks Esau to get his birthright from uh, Isaac. And then Isaac blesses Jacob. And then Jacob's like, oh, I'm scared. Esau's going to kill me. And he runs away. There you go. There's your 30-second recap context of what happens before this. And so the verses right before this as well, Jacob is going back to his land that has been promised to him. He is going to Esau, and his scouts say that Esau has 400 men. So let alone, he's probably scared. Every single time I've been up here, I've said, read the Bible with emotions attached to it. Don't just read it for the words. Think about what is happening in that person's life. So think about Jacob as he is going back to his brother that he stole the birthright from. He's probably like, um, yeah, I don't really want to go, but I have to. How many of you have older siblings? How many of you older siblings? Okay, I am the youngest. I knew how to make my older siblings mad. And then I would just run away. I wouldn't face my fears. There was, there was this one time, and I, I remember this specifically, and I was that annoying little brother. First off, there's a seven-year age gap between me and my next sibling, so let me just, let me just say that. But I, I remember just like walking up to my brother, and he would be playing video games, and I would just be in, literally in his ear like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Maybe just be better. Yeah, you're really not doing great. Um maybe I should try to beat this level for you because obviously you can't. And then I remember just the swing of the controller and me running away and then I just did not want to talk to my older sibling for like hours and hours. Not with video games though, but how many of you can relate when you make your older siblings mad and you're just like, I just don't want to talk to them anymore for a little bit. How many of you are kind of like, I'm scared. Mom isn't here to protect me right now. Um, So I'm just going to lock myself in my room. And then when you come out, Usually you come out with like, I love you. You're my brother. I love you so much. Don't hurt me. I love you. You're amazing. You, you had that level. So there's that awkwardness that comes out. And so what happens here is Jacob is sending Esau these gifts out before him. He's sending these mass droves and waves of gifts so that Esau will kind of like, 
damper like the hatred of him. How many of you, I, I did this when I was a kid, but I'm sure some of you have this experience as well. Uh, when you make your parents mad and you get grounded or sent to your room and then you come out with a little card with a heart that says, I love you so much and you give it to them with puppy dog eyes and you're just like, I love you, mom. Here you go. And my mom would be like, your dad's still coming home, so you should be terrified. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> but it's kind of that way. It's kind of that the person that we love, the person that like, we know we've done wrong to, we try to make it up. And that is what Jacob is doing before this scripture. He's trying to make up what he has done 30, 40 years in the past. You see, because Jacob here, scholars say that he's anywhere between 60 years old and 90 years old. He's not a young kid anymore. He actually just spent 14 years to marry both of his wives, which sounds really weird. But once again, context matters. Go read the Bible because you'll get the context for that. So he just spent 14 years working for his uncle. He has been traveling, and now he is coming home. But the big thing that happened is he sent everybody before him, and he was alone. That's my first point today. Jacob found himself alone. I am an extrovert to a T. When I took 50 personality tests in my master's degree. That's a little bit of exaggeration, but probably is really close to that. Every single one of them points to extrovert. My favorite is the Gallup Strength Finder test, which is the 33 top strengths. It is a one in seven million chance that somebody has the same top five strengths as you. It's a one in 33 million chance that somebody has them in the exact same order as you. And one of my top strengths is woo, which means I love talking to new people. I love the challenge of talking to new people. I love figuring out your favorite ice cream flavor. And if it's not peanut butter cup, you're wrong. I'm sorry. But I love knowing that about you. I love the challenge of meeting new people. I am an extrovert to a T. I am an ENFP. I am an I on the disc test. There are so many other ones. I don't want to bore you. But I'm an extrovert to a T. But even though I'm an extrovert, there's times when I need to find myself alone. There's times when I just need to soak in what's around me. I was blessed to grow up in Cape Cod, and when I was growing up on Cape Cod, I was probably like a 30-second walk from the beach, and I'm not rich. Let me just say that right away, because everybody expects you to be rich when you live on Cape Cod. That is not true. So I, I remember growing up and just walking to the beach and just hearing the waves at night, just hearing the waves crash. And at that time was the closest I've ever felt to God. The time when I felt alone, the time when I felt like I just needed to get everything away from me and I needed to go into my prayer closet, aka the beach, and just pray was the time that I felt his presence the most. Church, sometimes you need to remove every single of the distractions, whether that be family, whether that be your cell phone, whether that be the TV. You need to remove the distractions if you want to meet God. Let me say that again. You need to remove the distractions. And that can be the person sitting next to you. Don't look at them like that. But that can be the person sitting next to you. You need to remove the distractions in order to get close with God. Jacob found himself alone. He had, and, and not just like alone, like in the next room. He had sent everybody across the river already. And he just found himself alone. 
Now, when I find myself alone with God and in those moments when there's just peace, when there's no car noise, when there's nothing going on, when the waves are crashing or now that I'm in Framingham, I do find peace a little bit in all the craziness and I hear the cars going by and the honking and it just kind of is like, oh, I can, I can lock in even more. But when you find your time with, alone with God, that's when I feel like the most gets done. That's when I feel like I am the realist with myself and with him is when I am alone and there's no distractions around. Church, find your prayer closet. Find the place where you can be alone for a little bit. Find the place where you don't have to think about anything else and you can just focus on God. Now, I know some people and some of you in this room find that place as your drive to work every day. But let me tell you, you're still thinking about something else. Find your prayer closet. Find the place where you can be alone. Find the place where you can meet God. And let's just think about this too. He's probably nervous. Once again, we're reading the emotions. Jacob is probably nervous. He is probably scared. He does not know what is happening. And when we, let's be real, when we don't know what is happening, we kind of get emotional with God too. We kind of start crying out. We kind of start wondering, hey, Lord, what are you doing? What is happening? Am I, like, not following you? I'm praying. I'm doing everything. But everything just keeps going wrong. Like, what is happening? I've had those conversations. And I'm a pastor, and I've had those conversations where I'm just like, Lord, whoa. Some of you met my dad last week, and there was a time when he had six cancers in six years. And I remember just being like, I was about to go to school when a scare came up and I was like, Lord, what what are you doing? You're calling me to this place to go. I'm supposed to go somewhere and yet this is happening. What, What are you doing? And I remember just sitting alone and in my car by the beach and just going after him and being like, Lord, like, huh? Sometimes, you know, when that grunt just means more than the actual words themselves, you know what I'm talking about? That, that was kind of what was happening. The time alone became the time the most important with God. Jacob was coming into the ring to wrestle with God, which is my second point, wrestling with God. Now, in this story, some people, some scholars believe this is literal. Some people believe this is figurative. Some people believe that he was wrestling an angel. Some people believe that he was wrestling God himself. I'm no scholar, but let me tell you something. He had an encounter with God. At his rawest form of moment, at his, at his time when he didn't know what was happening, he sat there and he probably cried out, Lord, what is happening? What is going on in my life? And then the wrestling match started. Now, I'm a WWE fan. I know you might be like, how, how are you a WWE fan? My brother got me into it growing up. He did all the wrestling moves on to me. Not on bedding sometimes, sometimes on the concrete or the grass, the grass most likely. But this, like, I grew up watching wrestling. I grew up watching Olympic wrestling. I grew up watching the WWE. I grew up watching that. And this was not that. This wrestling match was not some WWE RKO out of nowhere flying off the top ropes. It was none of that. It was two beings going back and forth. And so the scholars that think this is the figurative side 
just saying that he was wrestling emotionally with God. Wrestling with God. How many of you have had the times when you've just been praying and praying and praying and praying and you don't feel like you're getting answered? How many times have we just cried out to the Lord wondering what is happening and then feel guilty about it? Let me tell you, church, that is a better encounter with the Lord than being fake half the time. The Lord wants us to be real every single time when we are with him and when we are wrestling with him and wondering what has happened, that is the realest we are going to be. He doesn't want this fake stuff. He doesn't want this surface level. He wants your real emotions on a daily basis. He wants you to wrestle over what is going on. He wants you to wrestle to understand the word of God. He wants you to wrestle with what is happening so that your faith becomes stronger once you are done with the wrestling match. Once you have done, stepped in the ring. And finding that alone space, finding that, that time when you can, that's just the start. That's just you stepping in. Let me tell you, there has been no shortage of times when I have wrestled with God. And I am 29 years old. But there has been no times in my life, like, it is a yearly occurrence, at least once a year, if not more. This past year before I worked for Celebration, I definitely was wrestling with God on a daily basis. And I think I've said this from this pulpit before, but I was in Missouri and the Lord said, hey, you are called to go back home. And I was like, nah, I'll just stay in Missouri. It's comfortable. They do call it misery for a reason, but at the same time, like, these are where my friends are. These are where my, like, the family that I have made together is here. And I ran away from that. And then for a year when I came back, I was working in a job that gained 35 pounds in six months because of the stress. The anxiety was weighted on me every single day where I just didn't know if I could do it anymore. And those times were the hardest that I had to wrestle with God. Saying, Lord, you called me to be in this place. You called me here. You called me in this area. Why? Why am I going up to Nashua every single day to work? Why? What do you, you have something for me. Why isn't this? And so I remember for a week straight, I took off a vacation for a week straight from that job. And I just prayed for a week straight. I fasted and prayed for a week straight because I knew something had to happen. I knew something had to, had to change. But church, let me tell you, if you want something to change, you have to start with the actions with it. Let me say that again. If you wish for change, it just won't happen. You have to place a plan and put the actions for it. If you are looking for a new job, you're not just going to sit there and wait for something to come. You're going to start applying. If you're looking to better your finances, you are going to start saving money. You're not just going to keep spending every day at Dunkin' Donuts. Everything that has your actions, start your plan. And if you have a plan and are not doing your actions, what's the point of a plan? The wrestling with God. One year and one day later, I got a phone call saying, hey, there's this church that needs an associate pastor. The one year that I told God, no, I'm good. The one year that I had to wrestle on a daily basis. 
I had to cry out to him on a daily basis. One year, the call came through. And the rest is history. Now you have an associate and youth pastor. But on my end, I was wrestling with God on a weekly basis, on a daily basis sometimes. And Jacob here, we see he is wrestling with God. And it wasn't just like five minutes and you're done. So me and my friends, we had, had this thing called, we would just be like, all right, we'll do something about it. Well, okay, so let me say this. I had a group of 15 guys, okay? All of them thought the same way, and we are guys. So obviously testosterone flies a little bit. People get angry with each other. And so somebody would say, all right, let's just do something about it. And like synchronization, they would pick up the coffee table, they would move the couches back, and we would just have like a five-minute wrestling match. And then afterwards we'd be like, hey, love you. And we'd go our separate ways. Some of you ladies are like, that is insane. That's just how we work. That's just how guys work. Not all guys, but that's just how some guys work, where you're just like, all right, need to get it out. Cool. Love you. All right. Everything's good now. But it wasn't one of those where it was like a five-minute wrestling match. And then you hug it out and say, I love you. Okay, bye. See you later. This was hours the scripture says that Jacob left during the middle of the night and sent his family across. And then it also says that they were wrestling until dawn breaks. If you have ever been in a physical altercation like wrestling or anything like that, you know how tiring it is. And so the fact that they are doing it for hours and hours and hours. Church, let me tell you this. You're wrestling with God. It's not going to happen in five minutes. It's going to take hours. It's going to take time. And yes, he can do all things. And he can do all things through his will whenever he wants to. But it takes hours. It is not this type of thing that's like, Lord, just get me out of this situation. It is this time when you find yourself alone in your place like Jacob did. It is that time when you find yourself wrestling for hours with the Lord for what he has for you, just like Jacob did. It is okay to wrestle with God as long as you come to his understanding, not your own. It is okay to ask and wonder because once again, God does not want your fake emotions. He wants the real ones. And if we are being fake at a prayer level where that is supposed to be our personal connection with God, our one-on-one, -on -one, how do you think he is going to treat us when we try to be real with him? Your alone time should be a conversation, and sometimes conversations turn into that wrestling match of words. And please, if you are married and you say, that's never happened with me or my husband, or that's never happened with me or my life, please, I want to know. Um, come talk to me. You have something, like last week, you have a superpower. Uh, please come bestow your superpower knowledge upon me. That doesn't happen where it's just all love, shine, and rainbows in a relationship, in a friendship. That doesn't even happen. So why do we expect that we have to be perfect to come to the Lord when he is just asking us to be real? Why do we expect that he just wants to see us at our best when he's looking for us at our worst?
Why do we expect that he's just going to do things without us putting in the actions first? Why do we expect these things? You see, because we do need to have faith. We do need to, if without faith, us being in that wrestling match kind of doesn't really matter because we don't know what we're wrestling with. But let me tell you, the plans that he has for you, the situation that you are in right now, it is okay to wrestle with as long as you come to his conclusion, not your own. Because that's what matters. Not our own will, but his will. Not our own doing, but his. And then this time, the man reached down and popped Jacob's hip out because, you know, couple hours. It was going. Which, first off, that's kind of cheating. Like I said earlier, like, if you're in a wrestling match and you have the ability to just, like, touch one point and a hip pops out of socket, that's kind of cheating. But at the same time, it needed to happen. But here's something that happened during this, and worship team, you can come back. Jacob, his entire time, would not let go of this man. During his entire time with this wrestling, he would not let go. It even says so at the end when the man says, dawn is coming, I need you to let go. Jacob says, I will not until you bless me. Now let me tell you, that's not prosperity gospel. But when you wrestle with the Lord, you know that after he wins, a blessing will follow. Which brings me to my last point. And please, please take notes on this. Please, please, please read by yourself. My last point. An encounter with God makes us new. That wrestling match that you just had for hours and hours and hours, something new will come from it. You see, it says here, what is your name? The man asked, and he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and men and won. Listen, when you are wrestling to the point when you just need to give up, when you are wrestling with God to the point when you are just sweating from everything that is happening, when you are crying out to him and when you are being real to him, as long as you are holding on to him, he will make us new. The encounter with God makes us new. And like I said, it's not a continuation of last week's sermon, but there are some similarities. The encounter with God makes us new. Every single time we have an encounter with God and a true encounter with God, something new happens. When you first believe in God and you have your salvation, a new hope comes up. When you find faith-filled believers and you find yourself a place to be, you have that sense of community. And when you encounter the Lord, you feel a sense of belonging. When you get water baptized, you have this feeling that this encounter of like, I am publicly declaring that I am in the kingdom of God. There are so many different steps on your encounters with God and each of them are different. But let me tell you, every single time you have an encounter with God, you will be made new. And we can have encounters in multiple ways. 
We can have encounters in different times. Jacob had encounters with the Lord before this. Once again, context, go read. There is times of encounters that he had before this. But this one, because he had wrestled with God, he was raw, he was real, he did the hardships, he proclaimed and he was asking God why, and he was expecting answers with that. He had the faith to listen to. Because of this, he was made new. And now in the Old Testament, names matter. Jacob meant that he was clinging on to his brother's heel. But Israel means you have fought with God and men but one. Because of this encounter, yes, like we talked about last week, the prophecy was already there and steps were moving. But because he had an encounter with God, his sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. We still refer to it in the Old Testament and for the rest of the Bible from this moment. Just like pastor told to me, do not limit what the Lord has for you. Do not think small. Do not be at face value, but be deep with him. Be deep with the wrestling. And I'm not saying like, oh, you're questioning God. Pastor Eddie said we're questioning God. No, no, no. I'm saying we need to be real. I'm saying that real time that we have with the Lord, that time when we are just weeping, when we are just crying out to him, when we are just wondering what is happening, when we find ourselves empty, he has a way of filling us up. When we find ourselves in a place where we just don't know what is happening, when we find ourselves in a place of the uncertainty, when we find ourselves in a place that in a situation that we did not prepare for, we bring it to God. Because if we try to do it by ourselves, we will fail. But it says here that he was named Israel. During the raw moments, during the times when you don't know what is happening, he is still there with you. But sometimes it is just his plan and not our own. Let me tell you, I am a planner. I am that type of person that's like, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. But I'm also that type of person that's like, hey, do you want to go to Italy for two weeks? Sure. So, but I am that planner. Like when it comes to life, like planning, like that's who I am. And let me tell you, time and time and time again, I have had a plan for what the Lord has thought for me. And it has been revealed to me through these wrestling, through these times of uncertainty, through the times where I'm at the lowest point, he reveals to me his will. Church. Do not have the expectancy of your own will. Have the expectancy that God will move in your life. Have the expectancy that God will make the way for you to do what you need to do. 
See, this didn't just happen because he was crying out. This just, just happened because he was alone. This new person happened because he sought after Jesus. He met him at a place when he couldn't do it by himself. So context at the end of the story, everything happens to Esau and everybody starts bowing before Esau and Jacob falls on his face flat and Esau walks up and hugs him. And paraphrasing here, but says, brother, I've missed you. When you are going through your battles, when you are fearful for your next steps, when you do not know what is happening, when you are at that real spot where you need to encounter the Lord and something to change, he will lead the way. Sometimes we overthink of what is happening in our lives and we we try to place it on our own shoulders instead of Jesus. Sometimes as we're walking and and we try to live out by faith, but we're living out by our own faith of our own selves instead of living out by Jesus. Jesus.